So we are starting a new series uh, called Realign, and uh, Jamie started it last week, and he talked to us about realigning our hearts to Jesus. And in that, we talked about uh, that Jesus took 40 days to realign himself to the Father, even though he didn't really need to. And so we talked through that about how we do that, and it's through the, the sacraments, it's through communion and baptism and the various disciplines that we walk in in our life we experience are being realigned to Jesus. And so today, we're going to talk about realigning to love. And we have intentionally started this season to focus on Lent. And so Lent is something the global church has been celebrating for ever and ever. And depending on your level of familiarity with it, uh, just jump in and, and join us. And so one of the things we're just encouraging people to do is to Get in Lent at some level. What, what, is, what, would you, what could you give up in your life to allow more space for Jesus to come in and have a, a greater part of your heart? So Jackie and I are, are trying to fast a day a week during the season of Lent. Just we want to make room for Jesus in our hearts. Um, and I, I love this as even if I was, uh, we was coming to the office on Monday morning, the office is here in the Strip Center, I was turn the corner up here at Starbucks and I see two priests fully robed, standing in the grassy median, doing drive-by blessings as people come through Starbucks, giving the charcoal blessing. You may have seen people, office co-workers, having the, uh, the charcoal cross on their head, and that's, that's for Lent. But they were given the blessing at Starbucks, just get your coffee and come on through, and Lord bless you, mighty power of God, just <laughs> go on to work. The thing I did notice was based on the line wrapped around Starbucks that nobody was giving up coffee for Lent. <laughs> Just saying. So today we want to talk about realigning our hearts and our minds to love. Um, golly, for the second time this morning, the worship team just messed me all up. And uh, just weeping this morning as they were just seeing the goodness of God, seeing how much he loves us, how much he gives us what we don't deserve. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And it just, every time you taste it, every time you see it, it just, it just messes with you again in the most holy, beautiful of ways. And uh, it's so precious. You know, I was like, I was drafting, worship drafting on Ian and Cameron over here just to the, I just got in behind them and just caught the wave with them. I was like, this is good. So what is love? What is love? Instagram tells us that love is a heart, right? Oh, I like your post. Love, 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 love. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, yes, 17 likes. Yes, people love me. I am worthy. Periscope has like taken it to the next level. Just... <laughs> 50 hearts pouring up, if you've ever seen this, like, I love your dog, that's worth 25 hearts. And then we've got the I love Texas. I love Texas. Why do we love Texas? I don't know. I was just thinking, Jackie and I were on a cruise a couple years ago that one of our vendors are taking us on, and we're, it's, we were in Europe, and we're sitting around this table eating breakfast one morning, and everybody, like, everybody there is from Europe, mostly, and we're going around talking 
where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And eating our fruit and our oatmeal. And it's like, oh, England and Greece and France. And they asked me, and I was like, Texas. <laughs> Nobody batted an eye. Just figured. I don't know. So, what is love? So Webster's uh, defines it, an intense feeling of deep affection. One of my favorite theologians, Dallas Willard, says that love is the intention to do good. I like that. And so Monday, I'm, Monday night, I'm praying, walking around my room, trying to get ready for the sermon, and all I know is I'm supposed to talk on love. I'm like, jeepers, that's big. So I'm like, God, what is, what is love? Lord, what do you say love is? And I just felt like I heard the phrase, this is love. This is love. It was a confident voice. And when I heard it, I, I was like, I think this is 1 John. 1 John. So I flipped over there to 1 John, and sure enough, I'm finding it in 1 John 4. So turn with me, if you would, 1 John 4. 9 through 11. I'm actually going to start in verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so, dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. So this is love. It's that God loved us. See, his, he loved us first. Our love to him is a response to having been loved. See, it's what sent Jesus, it, it's what brought Jesus out of heaven and down to earth was love. It was his first love that came. Our love is a second love. It's a response to him. And it's so amazing to get this through our minds and through our heads. Because as I'm reading that, I'm immediately thinking to, as we're talking about first love, I'm remembering the Revelation 2 where it says, and you've forsaken your first love. And so I'm like, wow, God, if we can, if we can forsake our first love, then it's possible that our love could fail for one another as well. And I say that because it's important for us to know what our love is based on. Because if our love is based on anything else than God's love, then the stresses of life eventually are going to cause it to fall. And so really the main thing I want to say today is that God has unleashed his transforming and permeating love so we can share this same love with our family, our neighbors, and the nations. In Matthew 22 Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. 
He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But the second one's just like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the only way that we can love God with all our heart and our soul and our mind is to have first experienced his love. We have to have encountered this love before we're going to be able to give anything away. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, when did his love first find you? And you'll know because when his love found you for the first time, everything changed. Everything changed. And hopefully we've experienced it many more times since then. But there's something special about the first time you ever experience it. You'll never forget it. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm not sure I've experienced what you're talking about. Then it's just simple. All you have to do is ask him. Just open your heart and say, God, show me about this love. I'm hearing something described that I'm not entirely familiar with. But I want to know it. I'm open to it. Watch and see what he will do. That's all anyone in this room did to encounter God's love. His love is so transforming. <laughs> it is so comforting. It will melt your insecurities. It will overcome your fears. It will cause your heart to want to love him with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind when you experience it. Your heart will long for this. It will cause you to reorient your life. It will, it will allow you to know the purpose for living when you experience this love, when you come into contact with it. But he doesn't break into places that he's not invited because he's a loving God. He's a gentle God. He's a respectful God. But he's just waiting for an invitation. He just needs a place that's willing, and he'll come running. So it says, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love is a, a funny thing. We want it. We don't always want to give it. You know, depending on how much we like someone will determine how much love we're willing to give them. You see, if we determine that you're too different than I am, or I don't really fully approve of your life, we might decide to withhold love. The interesting thing is that this is not what Jesus has done for you and I. He has never given us what we deserve. And may we be a church that never prays for what we deserve. Ever. We don't want what we deserve. We want the grace. We want what we don't deserve. God have mercy. Don't, please don't give me what I deserve. And that's why we get undone when the power and the love and the grace shows up. It's like, why would you come this close to me? 
I haven't done anything to earn this. But it's just who he is. It's the God that we know. But the, we're not the only ones that struggle with loving people that are different than us. You know, the, the disciples faced this challenge. The early church even ran into this. If you remember the, all the Jewish cultural and religious customs, they were all based on these very rigid uh, laws that everyone had to try to obey. And so it led to all this, all, all this elaborate, elaborate cleansing of themselves as everybody's trying to get worthy of acceptance. And even in that, there are some people who in their minds, they couldn't possibly get clean enough because their ethnicity, their pedigree, just completely disqualified them from even being able to come into my presence because I know how to get clean. I've, I've done all the right things. And then we've got the Israelites who for thousands and thousands of years are told that they're the chosen ones, and they were. But could you imagine generation after generation, grandma, great-uncle, great-great-great-grandpa, everyone growing up in this mindset? Thousands of years, and then Jesus shows up and says, Hey, guys, I did come for you and everybody else. And don't you know that there were some of them saying, no, no, this cannot be right. I mean, for years, we have been doing the right thing. We have worked hard to be worthy of this pedigree. We have done all the rituals. And you're going to walk in here and hand it over to somebody else? They're like, we've sent five generations of our kids to the University of Jerusalem, Baylor. I mean, we've done it all right. <laughs> We've done it. We've made the right choices. You cannot do this. And Jesus is like, yeah, I am here for you. I'm here for everybody. I'm here for all these unclean people, all these people that aren't unworthy, all the people that are trying to get it right. I'm here for everybody. I'm here for you all. And the love that's required to love people different than us, it will always be supernatural. You know, you, you may think to yourself, like, yeah, man, I just don't have the desire to love this person right now. <laughs> I cannot do this, Lord. I'm sorry. You know, she did this. She did that. She never says this. She always says that. I cannot do this. And I'm like, I get it. I, I think that from time to time, too. The issue is that <laughs> we can't always follow our desires. Because desire is not always your friend. Because if we just follow desires, then eventually we're going to end up harming ourselves and others. And so you may say, man, I love chocolate cake. Love me some chocolate cake. Glory to God. Yeah, God, just write the hankies out, the whole deal. I love chocolate cake. No, you don't. You want to eat it. You're like, chocolate cake, I want you, boom, right here. What you want is to consume it. Because if you loved it, you'd protect chocolate cake. <laughs> you'd care for chocolate cake. And nobody's thinking that. And so may you enjoy some chocolate cake this afternoon. 
just don't confuse it with love. All right? So Jesus says, love your neighbors as yourself. So who's our neighbor? A neighbor is anyone that's involved in our life. Our neighbor is anyone that we find ourselves next to. So it's possible, Rachel, that your neighbor next door to you don't want to be your neighbor. They may not. Who is next to you in the moment? Who is involved in your life? And so you find yourself at a Ranger game, 40,000 people, okay? Who's your neighbor? It's probably going to be the few folks that you came, with, came to the ball game with. It's possible it's the hot dog guy because he's like involved in my life right now, okay? So hot dog guy, we're having a relationship here. We're, we're taking care of each other. It might be the guy sitting in front of me if we have a conversation, but I might not even speak to him the whole game. It might be the guy sitting next to me that I spill my Coke in his lap, and we are neighbors now. We've got to work through some conflict, okay? Whoever we're next to and is involved in our life is our neighbor. So what does realigning our heart look like? Well, let me share you a little quick story about my own brokenness. So I grew up in a good family, Christian family. Uh, when my parents took me to college, Abilene Christian, about 10 minutes before they pulled out of the parking lot, my father kind of quietly whispered to me, hey, by the way, I'm not going back home to your mother. It was a mind blow. I didn't know what was going on, and uh, he had found somebody else, and he was, he was moving on. And uh, I was just really just kind of reeling. I didn't know what to do with this. It was completely disorienting to me. I was, in the coming days and weeks, I was angry. I was furious. I had decided that no one will ever do this to me again. I had felt abandoned, rejected, felt not worthy, like you we're going to walk out on us, uh, just on a, on a, filled with emotions. And so what I chose to do, because I had no community, had no grid for what was going on, I began to fill those, that pain with, oh, drugs and just completely abusing alcohol and just anything else I could fill it with. I lived like this for four or five years, just filling myself and just harming myself in this way. The good news was, right at the end of college, I had a radical encounter with Jesus. It was, it was amazing. But I still got to work this stuff out. It didn't just all get changed overnight. And so through the process, through the discipline of, uh, spiritual discipline of meeting with Jesus every single morning, just trying to grow in God, I start hearing, sensing God saying to me, hey, you can't hate someone and love me all at the same time. It's not going to work, buddy. I know you love me. You're doing all kinds of wonderful things and worshiping me and all these things, but we got to talk. You can't hate somebody. And for one year, I negotiated with God on this thing. It's like, I'm not going to do this. Like, this was unjust. This is, he doesn't deserve it. Yet, da, 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 da. I had a long list of why 
don't you ask me to do this. Hallelujah. Sunday mornings, you know, all this stuff. And uh, actually, I wasn't doing that at all. So <laughs> Kim's like, that's right. Uh, she was there. But during the, so I ended up, I go to start talking to some brothers about it, talking to some spiritual dads about it, and every one of them would tell me the same thing. They're like, yeah, buddy, you're going to need to go. It's, it's probably God. Probably going to need to go do this. So uh, it, my flesh wanted nothing to do with resolving this. But I made an appointment with my dad. I had spoke to him about three, four, five times in six years. I was furious. Um, it just basically cut him out of my life. And made an appointment with him to go see him. And what I knew was that I had to go forgive him. I also knew that he was not going to ask me for, for forgiveness. So I had to get my heart ready for that. And I went, we talked. I, I gave him forgiveness. I was sincere as I could be. And uh, he did not ask me for forgiveness. And we had to go on with life. God began to restore the relationship. It was a very slow process, but I did have another 25 years with him since that time. And it got better and better and better and better and better as time went on, where someone who I don't ever really remember him telling me that he loved me up until that college experience, nearly every time I saw him for the following 20 years, he would say, I love you, son. Proud of you. Never asked me for forgiveness, but something had happened to his heart. Because what I realized I had to do in order to get my life right with God, I realized I had to step into his pain. He was incapable of asking me for forgiveness because of what was going on in his own, his own heart. He didn't have the community of believers that I had to help me walk this out and give me courage and give me strength and pray with me. And so I stepped into his world and God met me there. And about six years ago, my father passed away, and I had the honor of speaking at his funeral. And because of what had happened between us, I was able to honor him, to share how thankful I was for him with full sincerity in my heart. And I had absolutely no regrets when my father passed away. God's mercy. And so how do you forgive someone that won't ask for forgiveness. And I figured out the answer. It's you choose to. You choose to do it. And the reason I chose to do it was because how Jesus had treated me. He did not come to me in the height of my sin, in the depth of my depravity. He did not come to me and say, Todd, I'm so tired of your act, buddy. I've been trying to get a hold of you for 20 years. It's not how he found me. He walked into a, a drunken young man, been up all night doing drugs. I said, hey, my son, I'm here. All I needed you was just a crack in your heart. You just needed to open the door that much, and I'll come running every time. I'm here, my son. That's where he met me. And so as I looked at my father, my biological father, so my dad's in pain. I don't know how he got this way. All I know is I got to do the right thing. I got to step into this. And boy, did God change my life through this. One of the fruits that came from this 
was after I forgave my father, was this river of worship got released in my life. And I just became this passionate tower longing to worship the King of Kings. There weren't enough songs. There weren't enough words. There weren't enough hours. There weren't enough people. There weren't enough instruments. It was just, I just want to worship the King of Kings because he has so changed me. And the reason I wanted to worship the King of Kings because I got what I didn't deserve. I did nothing to deserve it. I shook my fist at him for five years. Can't believe you did this to my family. Can't believe you would let this happen. And he just comes walking in. I'm sorry, my son. I'm here. Let's walk through it. Let's get there. And that's who we're to be, people. That's who we're to be. That's the church. That's what it looks like. It's broken people that have found Father's love. And when we find that love, we're able to give it to somebody else. And it's so beautiful to see eyes open, the heart set free, to see relationships get restored, to see them get better, to see them get stronger. We're going to need this love in every area of our life. We need it in our marriages. We need it in our families. We need it in our relationships. We need it with our neighbors. And so may our hearts find the grace to love with the love that's been given to us. Jesus has never backed away from you. He has never walked away from us. He is committed to having a relationship with you. Even though he cannot tolerate sin, he looks right into your darkness and he takes a step forward. And where, where is he now? He's closer. Even though he doesn't approve of everything, thought that we're having. He comes in. He takes another step. And the reason he does this is because he just wants to be a part of your world. He thinks you are amazing. He finds you fascinating, primarily because he made you. And he just wants to walk with you. Amen? You would be standing. the worship team, the ministry team. You know, we may not know every single thing there is about this love. But what we do know is that love is patient. And love is kind. And love is not envy. And love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It's not quick to anger. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. This love doesn't delight in evil, but it actually rejoices in the truth. And it always protects 
that always trusts, that always hopes, and that always perseveres. Somebody say amen. 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 Let's just take a minute. I just want us to uh, close our eyes. Lord, what are you saying to me about this love this morning? What are you saying to me about your love, God? What are you saying to me about my love for you? Father, what are you saying to me about loving my neighbor? Jesus. I feel like Jesus is just saying right now, I promise to never walk away. You've had somebody walk away. You had, you had somebody say, I've had enough and I'm gone. And Jesus is saying this morning to our hearts, I give you my word. I will not walk away from you. Don't let loneliness fool you into thinking I've walked away. Don't let your low self-worth make you think that I'm not nearby and that I don't absolutely love you. Just turn to him this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to come and let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. If you need absolutely anything this morning, we can pray for you for encouragement. I want you to come receive the Father's love as we sing this song.